morning. How many of you know it's the first day of spring? Isn't that great? I just found that out yesterday that it was the last day of winter, and uh, I figured it out that today's the first day of spring. Great to see you uh, until tomorrow, then it's winter again, but that's how it goes, right? No, it's really fun to kind of come into March. I always love it, and uh, leading up into Easter, we're in a six-week series right now called uh, Mirror, Mirror, Moments of Reflection that is a lot of Easter stories, and uh, we're going to, how many of you were here last week when we announced we are going to do a 6.30 sunrise service out in the North Lawn? And so if you're into that kind of thing, please come, bring a chair, a blanket. Uh, it's going to be real laid back, uh, about 25 minutes, and try to stay warm in the sun unless there's a, you know, blizzard. <laughs> then we'll just say, nah, we'll come inside uh, at 8.30. But anyway, it is great to see you. Hi, everybody online. It is great to have you join us. You guys, thank you for for working hard to get back together. I've really enjoyed, I've met so many new people. I can't wait to officially meet some of you at Summit today that are new since January. A lot of people are coming back to, to gathering inside the walls. And uh, it just a, it's a powerful thing what community is and what it does. And, and the power of that is a big part of, of this message and this series. We started with Pastor Jeff Lucas taking us to fire to fire that moment when Peter betrays Jesus around a fire. And then Jesus recreates that moment after his resurrection, builds a fire and cooks Peter breakfast. And he's basically saying it's all going to be okay. And then last week we look at bread to bread, the last supper moment when they're at the table and Jesus is going to go into the garden. He's going to face the cross and he's resurrected. And then there's that road to Emmaus where those two guys are walking and Jesus shows up. Aren't you glad he shows up? He shows up. And when he breaks the bread, the Bible says their eyes were opened and they remembered who he was. Today, a little tougher subject, but um, you know we don't run away from tough topics here at Timberline. And so I really felt impressed that we needed to tackle this, and it's on Judas. And we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about Judas's life some things that might surprise you about him. What, what do you think is the one thing everybody knows about Jesus, Judas? Two things, actually. Yeah, he betrayed Jesus and he hung himself. And that's about it. <clears throat> that's kind of what he's known for. But there's a lot of other facts about him. And I want to look at them. But I, I want you to just prepare your mind and heart. Because, you know, you, you may not ever be suicidal in your life. I can honestly tell you I never have been. That's not an option for me. And I don't know if it's the way I was raised in a Christian home and I've always had hope in the Lord. But I have worked with many, many people as a pastor through the years that have ended up taking their life. I've done too many funerals around this topic. And I want to just say in tenderness for those of you who have lost a son or a daughter a sibling, a parent to suicide. I'm so sorry. And we, as a church, it's a forever grief process. But today, we're going we're gonna to prepare ourselves for, for never letting our minds go into that dark of a hole. And, and Judas had a chance to come out of this darkness. He really did. We're a church that believes in free will. You have a choice you know, when Pastor Donnie read that verse, nothing can separate, I love that verse. 
Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And it's all this list of all those physical things that might try. But the only thing that can keep the love of God from coming into your heart is you. By pushing it out. By not allowing it in. Because he loves you whether you love him back or not. And that's an important component as we look at the life of Judas. You know, there's a lot of stuff about mental illness right now. From the beginning of COVID and the way it pushed us into isolation and took away so many of the joys and celebrations of our life. And caseloads have gone up. And people have died because of it. And, and mental illness has been a big thing. And, and I, I just want to say today, we all will struggle at times with being discouraged or even depressed. I certainly have. I am not immune from, I don't live in depression. But man, I've been sad. I've, been, I've had seasons of sorrow. I've I've had seasons when I, I couldn't get out of it. I needed to climb out and I needed to think differently. And today we're going to try to give you some tools. We also have some resources in our mall. We have two or three tables out there with professionals who can talk to you today if you want to. Um, or they have resources on the table if you want to just take a brochure for you or for someone else. But let's be mindful that you might not be suicidal, but you might be the person someone who is needs to talk to. And you're going to let love live by doing that. So there are a lot of components of why we're talking about this silver to silver. We're calling it that because it's what will you give me to betray Jesus? And they told him 30 pieces of silver. So he did it. And they gave him the money. And once he realized Jesus was going to die, what did he do with the silver? You remember? He brought it back. He, He said, I don't want this. And they wouldn't take it. It's blood money. It's cursed. It'll put a curse on us. So he throws it in the temple. They actually ended up gathering it all back up and and burying it out in this old abandoned field because they didn't want to have anything to do with it. So it's it's a big story. Matthew 26 in verse 14. Now this is right after what we talked about last week, bread to bread. Matter of fact, in that last supper, it was Jesus who said, the one who will betray me will dip his bread with me. And that, that's when Judas was discovered. And Judas ended up leaving the room in that moment. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priest and asked, How much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. From that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. Now, the scenario of the story goes like this. If you're new to the Bible and new to faith and all that, they went down into the garden after they had supper, and there were many of them walking together. And so Judas had a plan that he would kiss the cheek of Jesus or the forehead. And, and that's how they would know which one was Jesus, because it was dark. So Judas does exactly what he told them he would do, And that's why we have that phrase, he betrayed him with a kiss. So he kissed him, they identified Jesus, the soldiers immediately came, they arrested Jesus, Judas ran off, the disciples ran off, and then they took Jesus to basically a mock trial, 
They sentenced him to death and began the crucifixion, which we pick up in Matthew 27. Early in the morning, the leading priests and elders of the people met again to lay plans for putting Jesus to death. They bound him, they led him away, and they took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. Now here's a very important verse. When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with what? Remorse. Is that real? Yeah, it is. It is. The, The Bible's telling us the facts. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and to the elders, and he said, say this with me, I have sinned. Is that real? Yeah, it's real. He, he knew that he had sinned. And then he even says, I have betrayed an innocent man. So there's a lot going on in his heart and his, his emotions and his, his life. And look at their response. A lot of compassion here from the world. What do we care? That's your problem. Well, isn't that typical? Now, Judas is in a, a real quandary. He, he threw the silver coins down. He, he didn't want to keep them. He went out and hanged himself. It was an instant knee-jerk reaction. Because where was he supposed to go? This is, a, this is a huge dilemma in the story that we don't talk about very often. And we're going to open this up in a few minutes. But let me get into the outline a little bit. Number one... I want you to understand that Judas was a disciple. He was one of the 12. Would you say that's a big deal? Yeah, really big deal. I mean, that's, that's, that's one out of those 12 guys that we call the disciples of Jesus. So Jesus saw potential in Judas. Jesus saw some leadership there. He saw what he could become. And there's a lot of talk among theologians, depending on where you are with predestination and free will and all that. But even, even in, from my mind, having a free will, Jesus knows the decisions I'm going to make, but that doesn't mean I'm forced into making them. Judas had a choice, I believe. And that's very important in this story. He was gifted. He was the treasure of the group. Let me ask you a question. Would you give people your money to handle if you did not trust them? Probably not. Probably not. So so they trusted Judas. And we see through Scripture in the Gospels when we see stories come about, we see that Judas began to go down a path of darkness. We saw that one of the disciples mentions that he stole some money. That he was a thief. I don't think he started that way. Have you ever become something you didn't want to become? Have you ever had a tendency in your life that you sort of went toward and you go, how did I end up in this mess? I don't want to do that. I don't want to lie anymore. I don't want to cheat anymore. I don't want to whatever it is. I think this is what's happening in the life of Judas. And then he starts to become judgmental of others, which is a a telltale sign of something that's wrong. Remember when The alabaster box was broken open and the perfume and the aroma filled the air as an act of worship of Jesus. It was Judas who said, what a waste of money. We could have have sold, sold that and given the money to the poor. Whether he would have done that or not, I don't know. But he was judging 
And he had no business doing that. Jesus actually corrected him. So we see that he's slipping. We see that he's moving toward a place that he didn't start with. And that's, that's a big key for you, to understanding, for you to understand how this ended so tragically. It, it wasn't just a one-moment decision. It was a pattern that Judas was developing in his mind. The second point is this. Judas was disillusioned, and he made a mistake. He really made a mistake, and I want to tell you one theory. You do not have to embrace this theory. It's not a Bible theory. It's just some scholars. It makes sense to me, though, and I believe it's possible that there's some truth in this idea about Judas. Some people say that he knew Jesus was the Messiah, and he knew that he was setting up his kingdom because Jesus was always talking about the kingdom, right? You've got the disciples... (laughs) You've got them arguing over who's going to sit on the right, who's going to sit on the left, who's the greatest among them. When Jesus sets up his kingdom, he's going to smash Rome, and we're going to be in charge. And we can't wait. Could it, could it be tomorrow? We want it to happen now. So some scholars feel that Judas was trying to push a button in Jesus that forced him to set up his kingdom quicker than he had planned to. So Judas, in his mind, started thinking, I will betray him into their hands and then he'll blow everybody up and set up his kingdom and we'll all get to be, you know, in, in that kingdom with him. But that's, that's not what happened. Have you, ever tried, have you ever tried to make God believe in your idea? That's a tough sell. As a matter of fact, it won't work. <laughs> That's, that's why he's called God and you're not. And it didn't work for Judas, if that in fact is a theory that you embrace. But I, I, I do see the point because of, of what it says about Jesus. When he saw that Jesus was going to be put to death, what? He's alarmed. He has a moment like, this is not what I, this is not what I thought was going to happen, and so... That's when he felt remorse, like, I'm a part of this death. I was, trying to, I was trying to help set up his kingdom here. Wow. What do you get disillusioned about? I, 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 I know so many people, especially young people, some of you young people, I just, I hope you're, you're careful with social media and you don't let it get to you too much because, man, it can push you into a dark hole. You know, how many followers do you need? How many likes do you need? What is your identity based on? These are, these are important topics that, you know, I'm, I can't fully comprehend this, but it really does matter because it can push you socially into a tough position. There's a lot of cruelty out there, a, a lot of bullying, a lot of mean statements made online to people who don't agree with you, and there's a feeling of rejection. All these things can pile up in your life and push you. Judas wanted to make something happen that was actually out of his control. What do you do with the life events that are beyond your ability to control them? It's really tough. I was, I was on I-25 the other day. Yeah. Try to be in control when you're driving down that interstate. It was a parking lot. And I was like... I had to be somewhere. How many of you have to be somewhere when you're on I-25? 
And there was no, I had just passed an exit before I saw all the red taillights lighten up. You know, it was like, oh. And then, you know, there were a few of those little offshoot illegal, I, I would never consider doing that. But now they've got all those, you know, block barcades and fences and, and you're not going to move. You're just stuck. You just sit there. Your blood pressure goes up. Or you can just put on some music you love and enjoy the break. Right? Let's move on to number three. So Judas recognized his sin. Now this is a this is a pretty big pivotal point for him, and I've read this already, but let me just highlight a couple things. When he realized he had, you know, betrayed him, and he realized he was going to die, his first reaction was, I want to get this silver back. I don't, I don't want this in my pocket. Could, could you please just take this? I, I don't want to have anything to do with this anymore. Why did, why did he want to do that? He, he wanted to go back to how it was before. And this, this is a typical response in our lives when we make a mistake. We, oh, you know, forgive me, let's pretend like that never happened. Well, it's pretty hard to do that. There are consequences to every action that I have in my life. And yes, I can be forgiven. Yes, I can reprove that trust. But listen, some people may never trust me again. And I can't demand that they do. Judas blew it, and he's trying within, within his power, let's get this money back. I'm sorry, I made a mistake. I don't want it. I can't undo it, though. And I'm going to say this one thing, and I hope it just burns into your brain. When you can't undo it and you can't go back, that is exactly why we need a Savior. Right there. And we have one. We have a Savior. He recognized his sin. His plan had failed. This realization was really, really big. He truly repented. But then he couldn't make it like it used to be. And he didn't know what to do. Now I want you to think about this dilemma. Because this is, do you guys know what a ball joint is? It's greased up. And it, and it just moves real slick like an axle or something or a hinge. This is, this is kind of that ball joint in, in Judas's life and, and the end of his life because he's realizing that these religious leaders don't want to have anything to do with him. They were cruel. They were harsh. We're done with you. Get out. He starts to go out, but to what? The disciples knew everything that had happened now. He, he can't just show up again and say, oh, guys... I, was, I had this idea. I didn't mean for Jesus to get crucified. He, he can't bear the weight of his actions, and he doesn't see past this moment. And that's the darkness right there. That's when darkness sets into people is when they have no place to go. And the harder they think about it, the worse it gets. Now, I, I grew up in western Colorado in Grand Junction and. Loved it. Had a great childhood. When I was able to get a four-wheel drive truck, I did it. I worked construction through the summers, and I bought me a truck, a four-wheel drive truck. And, man, I put a roll bar on it and a big old grill on the front. And 
me and my buddies would go up on Grand Mesa and get stuck in bog holes and spend the day digging out. It was just wonderful. I don't know why we did that. It was so stupid. But I remember one time the back of my truck kind of went off this steep incline, and it wasn't like it could have rolled. It was just a little tiny thing. But the harder I tried to get out of there, the more stuck I got. Have you, have you ever been there? You, just, you end up just making a big mess until someone can pull you out. But Judas was alone. No one was there to pull him out. And he felt alone, and he had no one to go to. And that's, that's why a lot of people call it quits. They just can't get that truck out of the mud. Now, number four, the last point, and I want to draw a couple things up here, is that Judas lost hope for his future. Judas lost hope for his future. Now, when this happens, all kinds of bad things can happen. Because he couldn't see past what he had done, and he felt the weight of what he was going to face. And he made a really bad decision in that moment to just go and end his life. So what are we going to do to keep that from happening? Let me, let me just try something here. Now, I'm not, I don't claim to be an artist or anything like that. But um, I'm going to try to draw something, and you try to guess what it is. I'm going to start an art gallery. <laughs> an umbrella. Now, I'm going to call this the loss of hope umbrella. And there are many things that can go under this umbrella. But it's a very real thing. And a lot of the research I've done to build this sermon identify anywhere from four to 12 things. And a lot of them are so interchangeable that they're almost the same word, or at least it's like a, a synonym. So I'm going to put up a few words that, that happen when people contemplate either moving into a depression, because I don't, again, I've said it before, I don't, some of you aren't going to take your life, but you could move into such a depression that it equals you not fulfilling your future. Because that's what depression does. It locks you out from tomorrow. It locks you out from the hope of your future. And you can't get out from underneath that. And it's really, really hard. And one of the big things that, that happened with Judas was this word, betrayal. So, whoops. I can't spell when I write it on a board. That's betrayal. Um, now, this can happen to you. And you feel totally lost because this person totally betrayed you and you trusted them and you and they took your money and it was a ponzi scheme and they never cared or they said they would be faithful to you and they cheated on you even though they had this wedding vow it meant nothing to them so what happens is there's this loss of hope this relationship can never be repaired and it pushes you it pushes you down into a dark place. Another one that's really big in this topic is shame. Shame comes to people sometimes, you know, being ashamed of what you've done is a good thing. But living under the shame 
of your past, especially when you can't control it. This would be the category that a lot of clinical psychologists talk about uh, veterans who have done terrible things in the war that they can't get out of their mind and it's better for them to just feel like I just need to take my life and get out. Victims of rape fit into this category where somehow they somehow come into this moment of thinking I did something wrong and they don't realize that the burden of shame should rest on the perpetrator. But they can't get this out of them. And the value of their life goes down. Their identity starts to be challenged. And it's a really big, I never thought this would happen. And people begin to blame themselves. And what this does, you guys, it's a process that takes them out of any hope for their future. And they're just living in this pattern of trying to survive through this emotional mess that's a part of their life. And they can't get out of it. Uh, another one is, is um, hypocrisy. Now, let me explain this one. Hypocrisy that I could put another word, embarrassment. So someone, it's found out that they're not who they said they were. How many of you look forward to a presidential election with all the ads and all the fun that we get to watch? And, and how many of you just love that? Oh, okay. What happens is... The opposite, the opposition of the opponent will try to find all the dirt on the person running against them and expose it. What's the point of this? They're not who you think they are. They're not who, who you know, they want you to think they are. They're, they're a liar. They're a cheat. So what happens is sometimes this is true. And a leader is exposed and the weight of that exposure is so great. I've, I mean, just to be honest, I've dealt with pastors who were living a lie, and when they were exposed, they wanted to take their life. You guys have helped pay to restore pastors who have almost wrecked their lives through some counseling ministries that we've provided for them. And it's not just pastors, it's any leader that's in a significant role. When they blow up and the truth comes out, and it will they can't handle it. That's a really big one. Let me just put one more up there. It's really also real common. It's loss and grief. We have a group called Grief Share. It's a wonderful ministry. This is for people who have lost loved ones. Your spouse that you love dies. Your son or daughter die. Your, your parent, whatever. And you can't, you just don't, you just don't know how life is going to be without, without this person in it anymore. I'm glad I've never lost my wife. It get, I get emotional just thinking about it. I can't imagine life without her. And I hope that doesn't happen. I'm telling her I'm going first. She's like, thanks a lot. <laughs> that grief is very real. And it does push some people into saying, I can't live without them. And I'd rather die. And sometimes they just say that as a statement. They don't really mean it. But that's the weight and what it does, again, it might not lead them to take their life, but it might lead them to lose their future because they lost hope and they can't get through it. And it just pounds on them every single day. Let me tell you something. The enemy of your soul, Satan himself, Jesus said something about him that you need to remember. It's in John 10.10. 10. And Jesus is talking and he says, the thief's purpose, the thief, meaning Satan, 
is to steal. What's the next one? To kill and destroy. Are those three big words? Listen, those are serious, and that's targeting you. That's what he wants to do with you. And that's not exaggerative. He wants to kill you. He wins if you decide to take your life. And you leave a mess behind you. But he wants you to live so overwhelmed that you can't get out. You're just stuck. But my purpose, Jesus said, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Life in abundance. That's God's plan for us. So what is your self-talk like? Because this is where it all happens. What do you say in your brain? What happens to you when you get in these dark places? Look, we all visit the shadow lands, if I can say it like that. We all have moments of these and more. And we all can be sad. And I, I, I know I've been depressed before when I had to say, okay, my self-talk needs to get back under control. I'm, we're a church that tries to get people out of the ditch back to the center line. Now, I don't think it's real easy to live on the center line of the road every day of my life because things happen in your life that are sad. You need a grief period. You need to get your finances fixed. You need all these relationships are hard when you break up. But we want to pull each other back toward that center line, and that's what the Spirit does. But your self-talk matters. And, and the Bible talks about taking your thoughts captive. In other words, capturing those thoughts and, and dealing with them and saying, I'm not saying that to myself anymore. I, I am free, and I do have a Savior, and I do have a Lord, and I'm not going to let the enemy beat me up. You say, well, you can't do that when you're clinically depressed. I think you can teach yourself how to change your self-talk. And that's the key. Judas did not take the time to do this. He was impulsive. So I want to give you four things Four things that, that here's what I want to have happen. I want you to get out from underneath this umbrella. You can't live there. It's harsh there. And sometimes once people get under these things, they don't know how to get out. And they lose hope completely. So let me just give you four really practical things. Talk to somebody. If you're feeling these feelings, not even just suicidal, but just depression, talk to somebody. That's where it starts. Judas felt like he had no one to talk to. So how about we back up a little bit and say, who is your go-to? Can you think of somebody right now that if you were really fighting depression that you could call and talk to about it? Get them on your list. Get them on your list. Don't wait until you're there. Have a plan. You say, well, that's never going to happen to me. Well, maybe not suicide, but tough stuff is going to happen to you in your life. How many of you are old enough to know that? You need to talk about it. And second thing is just to wait for some time to pass. I really think if someone would have been there to say, Judas, let's go have coffee. Let's talk about this for a day. I literally had a phone call with a guy that was going to take his life after we hung up. You're my last call. I said, is there anything I can do about that? Nope, I just wanted you to know. I said, well, how about this? How about you give me one coffee he wouldn't let me see him that day. Why don't I take you to breakfast tomorrow and we'll talk. And if you still have this decision, then I'm not going to be able to stop you anyway. He said, I will do that. I said, give me your word. He gave me his word. 
We had breakfast. He's still alive. You know why? Because he took a little bit of time to think about this decision and to talk about it with somebody. Now, you might be the person someone's talking to. I want you to do the third thing, and that's to think about what could be. Just let your mind wander. If I could wave a magic wand and say, what what could be here? Just do that. Just try it. And the last one is train yourself to think correctly. And that's what I was mentioning earlier. Capture your thoughts. And that's probably not going to happen at the lowest point. You probably can't get out of the ditch then. But if you can practice this in the day-to-day grind, so that you don't end up in the darkest, deepest hole ever, ever, ever. Get out of there. Get some help to get out of there. And don't stay there very long. Why? Because I want you to have this hope. Let's take out this communion. I've told you before, start with the bread side up, right? Much better. Set the bread aside and then turn it over. I'm loving taking communion every week up to Easter. Really fun. Now this week I want to focus on something just a little different. Last week we talked about bread to bread and we talked about his broken body as we shared communion together. What a wonderful time. And doing it in remembrance of him. Remember? We said let's remember his pain. Let's remember his suffering. Today, I want to take you to the last statement that Paul makes in the book of Corinthians when he writes his letter to Corinth, and he's repeating what happened at the Lord's Supper. He's telling the church, Jesus took the bread, and it's in chapter 11, if you want to read it, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body, and he took the cup, and he said, this is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And then Paul says, we do this to remember and to show the Lord's death Three more words. Until he comes. He's coming back. This isn't the end. That's the hope. That's the hope of this bread and this cup is that Jesus is coming back. And I am so glad. And I hope it's today. Lord, thank you for this bread. It is our hope. Thank you that you alone could have laid down your body for us so that we have life to live. We take it with gratitude and thanksgiving and with hope. Let's partake. Lord, we take this cup today with hope in our hearts that your shed blood gave us a chance. It gave us a chance to believe in a future that you have designed for us. Put that purpose and that future in our hearts today that we might live with joy anticipating our tomorrow. We drink it in your precious name. Would you just express thanks to God right where you are, right where you're seated right now. We love you, Lord. We trust you, Lord. We need you, Lord. You're a mighty God. Matter of fact, with heads bowed right now, could I just pray over some of you? 
It, it might not be suicidal. It'd be kind of awkward to say if you're contemplating taking your life, raise your hand. I don't think that would be a very good idea. So I'm just going to say, let's just take suicide out of the equation and say you're, you're in the shadow lands. You're stuck a little bit. And, and you know you're in the hole and you want to take a first step today to, to change your self-talk and to, to move a little bit more toward the center line today. I'm just going to pray that over you. And there's no shame in lifting your hand to this, buddy. I'm, I would have lifted my hand to this many times in my life. And so if you're at that place, let us pray for you. Just hold up a hand to God, not to me right now. Hold it up. Lord, you see our hands and you know our hearts and you are in control. And we look to you today and we trust that this moment there would be a shift in our thinking and that we could move toward you just a little bit just a little closer to that center line and give us the hope we need to continue these conversations and to think properly about the situation that we're in. We trust you, Lord, with greatness in our hearts. Thank you for being our Redeemer and our Savior. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen.